Welcome to the Real Estate Secrets Podcast for healthcare professionals, hosted by Austin Hare and Nathan Palmer, who together have over two decades of real estate knowledge and investing. This show is about sharing lessons in commercial real estate that were learned from trial and error and working directly with CEOs of billion-dollar healthcare organizations. Our mission is to teach the insider strategies to everyday healthcare operators in order to get access to the best real estate at the best prices. Hey guys, welcome to part seven of Negotiation, where we're gonna be talking about chapter seven in Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. This chapter is called Create the Illusion of Control. So we're gonna go back to a scene in Dos Palmas in the Philippines. And during this time in this story, Chris had to go back to Manila one month after the Jeffrey Schilling case and go to Dos Palmas. what happened was the terrorists had taken 23 hostages and they were known as the the Abu Abu Sayyaf. Um, Americans got in a turf war with the kidnappers and the kidnappers had raped and murdered several victims. And then 9-11 happened and turns out that the group was connected to Al-Qaeda and um, it just ended up being Chris's worst failure. And during that point in time, it pushed him into a really deep reflection. Think about negotiation, it's not about overcoming, it's about coaxing. It's about co-opting and not defeating, and it's about giving your counterpart the illusion of control. So we're gonna talk about the calibrated, open-ended question. Um, As an example, what this means is, instead of saying, you can't leave, you would say, what do you hope to achieve by going? See the difference between those two statements? So back in Dos Palmas, um, when Chris arrived in Manila, they were in the middle of a firefight. Two of the prisoners they caught escaped because of an inside job. One of the leaders threatened to kill two Americans on noon the next day. So the stakes are very, very high. Tensions are very, very high. And the Filipino government agreed to negotiate with them and then backed out on the deal terms. So thus, the terrorists beheaded an American and took 15 more hostages. Chris headed back to the U.S. and then this is when September 11th happened, to give you guys a frame of reference. Um, As soon as 9-11 happened, the case became a major U.S. priority. So he was sent back to the Philippines, back to Dos Palmas, to make sure a deal got made. Robert Mueller was checking in on him every single day. Now, the kidnappers had recently changed the negotiator from their side, which meant um, they were going to essentially take a harder line in their negotiations. So... You got to remember, okay, the U.S. does not pay ransoms, but how, in this case, they did find a donor who would agree to pay $300,000 to get the hostages back. However, the ransom was dropped by Sabaya, the leader. Um, he refused to release the hostages, and that stopped the whole thing. So the negotiator, turned out, had made a side deal that fell through. So at the end of the day, what happened was the terrorists kept the money and the hostages. <laughs> Finally, you know, after two months, the Filipino government told the U.S. government where the terrorists were. Why did they take so long? I mean, who knows, right? So what happened was the U.S. scout rangers opened fire on the terrorist camp. Um, Unfortunately, friendly fire killed two of the three hostages that day, and Sabaya, the leader, he escaped. So from beginning to end, it was just a complete failure, and the FBI would have to find a new way to negotiate. Um, We're going to talk about avoiding a shutdown. So... After this time, Chris questioned and doubted what they were doing at the FBI, you know, from a top to the bottom. And 
he found out Martin Burnham, the hostage, had been talking to someone else on the phone. So this means he was talking to someone else trying to negotiate a side deal. And it turned out to be a Filipino politician who wanted to show up the president. This is bad news, but not surprising. I mean, it is a corrupt country. And the real question was, how did this guy get to speak to the hostages on the phone when even Chris couldn't do that for free? So how were they more successful when they are using these unsophisticated techniques when you got the FBI, who's supposed to be the best in the world, unable to accomplish the same goal, right? That's the question. So beyond the problems of the Filipino military, uh, they had a tit-for-tat mentality at the FBI. So the FBI never even bothered to ask for proof of life. And the reason is because they were afraid to go into debt. So essentially, once you ask, um, they feared they'd say no and embarrass them, right? Or they, or they feared that they would want something in return. So it, the FBI needed something more sophisticated than yes-no questions. And it became clear, you know, these are all just verbal questions that end up getting nowhere. So they asked questions in order to get proof of life. They'd ask questions like, what's the name of Martin's dog, right? However, it's easy to answer these questions, and now it makes the bad guys feel like you owe them something. So you can see the flaws here. This kept the FBI from triggering the reciprocity by not asking for anything, okay? And it was a total standstill. So the goal is communication without reciprocity in a negotiation. During a local kidnapping of a drug dealer's girlfriend, this was um, in the U.S., Chris actually stumbled on the open-ended question technique. It's a really funny story. So it's, it's just a natural and logical question, not a request for a fact. It's a how question, okay? So how am I, how would you, etc. And it engages your counterpart. And best of all, you don't owe the kidnapper anything after they answer the question. The kidnapper also has the illusion he's in control. Um, you know, when the, uh, the, kid, the drug dealer, his girlfriend was kidnapped by a fellow drug dealer, and ironically, he went to the police <laughs> about the whole thing. And um, they, they were, he was overhearing the conversation, and the first drug dealer just asked, how am I supposed to know she's alive? And like that just... That question, that open-ended question, that proof-of-life question without a tit-for-tat mentality is what really sparked the whole calibrated question technique that Chris became to, uh, known to develop later on. Okay, we're going to talk about unbelief. Um, if you can get the other side to drop their unbelief, you can slowly get them to your side. And you don't directly persuade them to see their ideas. You slowly ride them to your ideas, right? So it's the friction that keeps the persuasion in check, if that makes sense. Um, there was a New York Times article that uh, came out, and it was essentially it was about a man who had checked himself out of the hospital. He was ready to leave. He was annoyed. He was tired of waiting on his biopsy results that were days late, and so he's checking himself out. And a senior physician arrived because he heard what was going on. The senior physician calmly said he understood what he's going through. He understood why he was upset, and then he just asked him what was so important that he had to leave. The patient said that he had errands to run, and then the doctor offered the patient a list of services to handle that sort of thing, and surprisingly, the patient offered to stay. And that was it. Why is this so important? Well, the doctor took an adversarial showdown, initially one of, I'm not going to stay versus you can't leave, right? That's very adversarial. And he turned it into an open-ended question that ultimately led the patient to the outcome that the doctor wanted to begin with. So the doctor was successful at taking the bravado out of it by giving the patient the illusion of control. He offered him the dignity of choice, right? So he who learns to disagree without being disagreeable has learned the art of negotiation.
the greatest calibrated question of all time is how am I supposed to do that? And calibrated questions are the best tool in a negotiation. So we're gonna talk about calibrating your questions and how to do that. Um, there was a client that was owed a lot of money by a company and she had done a lot of work for them and they kept on delaying her payments. Chris advisor asked them, how am I supposed to do that? And so at first glance, and for most people, that question can sound very confrontational. And rightfully so, this girl was terrified. I mean, it sounded like she was gonna be very accusatory to these people. But Chris assured her, hey, if you just do this without an emotional tone, it will be non-confrontational, and all they'll do is hear the words, not the emotion. So later on, she did it. She called back, super excited, because she asked the calibrated question. And the firm responded with, you're right, you can't do that. So essentially, she just asked them, like, hey, how am I supposed to do that? Um, when they asked her to do more work, and they responded with, you're right, uh, we understand that you can't do that. They said they had problems. They admitted that they were dealing with their accounts receivables, um, their cash flow problems, but they would pay her what they owed her within 48 hours. And so without accusing them, it pushed them to understand her problems and offer a solution. And that's the whole point. It's like using softening words like perhaps and maybe. Um, what it does is keep you from sounding overbearing or pushy. Calibrated question rules. We're going to talk about some of the ground rules, some of the do's and don'ts when it comes to using this calibrated question. So number one, you have to calibrate these questions carefully. Okay, it's like a gun sight. You can't just go off shooting with no forethought. Okay, take some time. Number two, avoid words like can, is, are, or does. Those are very affirmative. Um, they leave little wiggle room in them. And number three, these are closed-ended questions and can be answered as yes or no. So that's why you want to avoid those types of words. Let's talk about what you should do instead. Um, use the reporter-style questions, okay? What are the reporter-style questions? Well, it's who, when, what, where, why, and how. And they inspire your counterpart to think. That's why they're so important, and that's why they're so good at creating calibrated questions. And actually, to refine it even more, you really want to start with what and how. Um, those are the those are your go-tos. Those are the primary ones, and even really, only very very minimally do you want to use why. Um, otherwise, you can pretty much leave out when and where. And tone of voice when you're doing this is very very critical. It's very very critical not to come off come off as bravado, confrontational, or pushy. So here's some examples. What about this works for you? Okay, that's a, and that's an example of a what calibrate question. Or you can say, what about this doesn't work for you? And that would be an example, like we talked about in some of our previous chapters, of a no-oriented question to get them feeling comfortable to say no. So think about the difference between why did you do it? Okay, that would be an affirmative question or an accusational question, and what caused you to do it? Okay, so why did you do it versus what caused you to do it? What caused you to do it is conversational. Why did you do it is accusatory. You see the difference there in just the simple rephrase. It's this, you want the same answer, okay? It's a similar version of the same question, but those subtle differences make a big, big impact on the outcome of the negotiation. So here's some example questions that we're gonna go through. Um, pretty much, you know, write these down, take a note of these. You wanna use these early and often in negotiation. Okay, number one, what about this is important to you? All right, that'll help you understand your counterpart from their perspective. Number two, how can I make this better for us? Number three, how would you like me to proceed? Number four, what is it that brought us into this situation? Number five, what's the objective? Number six, how am I supposed to do that?
Well, here's some of the benefits, okay? You implicitly ask for help, which immediately disarms somebody. I mean, if you ever want to disarm somebody, if you ever want to get somebody to your side, ask them for help. Uh, works really, really well. So you're implicitly asking for help. Number two, they're now actively working to solve your problems. They're using their bandwidth to answer your how questions. And number three, it makes them feel they're in charge, but you are still the one pulling the levers. Remember, this is the illusion of control is what this chapter is about. <clears throat> okay, we're going to talk about how to not get paid. So a client of Chris was working with a new CEO in this company that she had worked with for a long time. He had some chauvinistic tendencies. He was very rude and abrasive. And as a woman, it really rubbed her the wrong way. And so she got over it. She ended the partnership. And they email, she emailed them a final invoice for the work she had done for $7,000. So what happened, you could probably guess, the guy, the CEO, said it was too much and he'd only pay half. <laughs> Immediately, he stopped responding to any other emails, stopped answering calls, just went silent. So what they did, she went to Chris and they developed a script. And this, I would really suggest writing this down because this is a script with all the best practices. And this is going to be a huge tactical takeaway. Um, you know, what you do, a no-oriented email was the first step to initiate contact. So the question, set out the question in an email format. Have you given up unsettling this amicably? Okay, that response initiates a no reply. Number two, a statement that leaves only an answer of that's right. So then the second question, or this, really it's a label, would, say, would be, it seems as you feel as if my bill is not justified. Number three, a calibrated question. How does this bill violate our agreement? Number four, more no-oriented questions to remove barriers. Are you saying I misled you? That's one example. Are you saying I didn't do as you asked? That's another example. Are you saying I failed you? So any of those three questions are an example of questions that you can use to remove barriers. Number five, labeling and mirroring the essence of his answers. So it seems as though you feel as if my work was subpar. Okay, it's putting a label on it. Number six, um, calibrated questions to any offer aside from full payment. So if they offer anything less than the full amount, a calibrated question would be, how am I supposed to pay that? Number seven, if none of these works, then a label that flatters their sense of power. An example of this is, it seems as though you pride yourself on the way you do business, and rightfully so. And you have a knack not only for expanding the pie, but making the ship run more efficiently. And lastly, a long pause and more no-oriented questions. So do you want to be known as someone who doesn't fill agreements? Scripts like this have a 90% success rate if you stay calm. <laughs> Emphasize, though, on staying calm. The first email that she sent out, the very first script, worked better than expected and prompted a call from the CEO within 10 minutes, really surprising her. However, her anger immediately flared at the sound of his patronizing voice, and her desire became to show him he was wrong and impose her will. And guess what? The whole entire script went out the window. She lost control of her emotions, and she didn't even get half, of which is what he originally had offered her. And so that's the importance of keeping your emotions in check. Even with all the best techniques, you have to regulate your emotions. Pause, think, let the passion dissipate. It's funny because the Japanese figured this out a long time ago. They use a translator when they're speaking with foreigners, even if they understand him, because it allows them to pause and think before responding. So contemplate that for a second. 
When people feel like they're out of control, they react with a hostage mentality. It's also known as the flight or f- fight or flight mentality. And almost inevitably, this will produce a negative outcome. So what does that mean? Bite your tongue, change your state to something more positive before you begin. All right, to recap this chapter, um, we're going to go through and highlight some of the stuff that we went over so you guys can remember. Number one, who has control, the listener or the talker? Well, if you've been listening, it's the listener, right? Because the guy talking is revealing his hand. And while the listener is harnessing the conversation for his own goals, the guy talking is taking notes. You know, it's not about strong arming. It's about using your counterpart's power to get your objective. Uh, And then number four, don't try and force them to admit that you're right. Number five is avoid questions that can be answered with yes or little information. All right, that requires reciprocity if you do ask a question in that matter. So what do you wanna do instead is ask open-ended questions that start with what or how. This gives the illusion of control. Don't ask questions starting with why unless you want them to defend you, okay? Um, or, Or defend themselves, really. Remember, that makes them accusatory. So why is always an accusation. Remember, bite your tongue. When you're attacked, take a pause and instead ask a calibrated question. There's always this team on the other side of the table. If you're not influencing them, then you're vulnerable. So that concludes chapter seven. A uh, couple more chapters to go, and then we'll be done with the entire book, Never Split the Difference. So stick around, and uh, we'll see you guys next time. If you need help finding the perfect location for your practice, or you're ready to invest in commercial real estate, email us podcast at leadersre.com. That's podcast at leadersre, R-E as in realestate.com. Or go to leadersre.com and fill out our form. See you next time.